Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Can I have people come to their seats and stand? I'm going to read Psalms 47 real quick. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord most high is to be feared a great king over all the earth. We know that God is good. As the old saints you say, God is good. And all the time. God is good. One more time. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Amen. So we're going to start off by climbing our hands like this. Lord, you're good. You ready? Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good, yeah. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you're good, yeah. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. People. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation. We worship you.
River Church, how are you? Good morning. Woo! I'm Benner. My name is George. I'm one of the pastors here. And yes, I have my umbrella out because there's nothing shameful about wanting to keep out of the sun and not get hurt by the sun with UV rays. So please be sure to take out your umbrellas if you need to. Drink lots of water. Grab some sunscreen from your friend if you need to, or grab some shade. We are very happy to all be gathered here this morning. And for you, Folks at home, don't be scared. Come on out if you feel like you can. We would love to have you here as well. So, Anacostia River Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ from the four corners of the globe, four corners of the block, to the four corners of the globe. So that's who we are. We are excited to have you here with us this morning if you've never been here before. Are there any visitors here? Any first-time folks? First-time folks out here in the sun? Anybody? We got one? Okay, Esther over here. Welcome to Esther. Esther's going to be here this summer. Be sure to introduce yourself. And anybody watching from at home, welcome to you as well. Got some announcements this morning. First announcement, on Thursday, we will be having our last Bible study for um, First Thessalonians for the summer. So we're going to see how far we can get. And then we're going to take a break, and we're going to have a special summer series. And we're going to have Hannah come up in just a few moments to talk about that. But before that, I would like to talk about our birthdays and anniversaries that are coming up this week. Let me bust open this Bible here with this umbrella. Lots of fun. Okay. Today is the 23rd, right? All right. So we've got Jadine Johnson today, Marquita Niles today, Arlette McGee tomorrow. Thank you, brother. Yes. Look at that. Look at this, brother. This guy's a good. He's all right. He's all right. Hang on, sir. Delise Bernard on May 29th, uh, and then Angelo Devine on May 29th. And we got two anniversaries Michelle and my anniversary on May 29th. Thank you. And Jacqueline and Durst on May 29th as well. So I'm very excited. Thank you all. Uh, a lot of special days. So reach out to those folks on those days and remind me to make sure I take out Michelle and do something good because I'm not really good at the special days. So encourage me. All right. That's what I got. I'm going to bring up Hannah. Hannah's going to talk about our summer series, which is going to be very exciting. We're going to be talking through um, all these different initiatives we've been putting together for the PSA teams and preparing well for that. So, Hannah. Uh, Hannah. Hey. Yeah. Hey, family. Uh, my, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannah Baker, and uh, thank you to uh, you as my family for recently uh, electing me as your deaconess of community development. So Woo! I'm super excited about that. 
uh, logged into the work of our PSA teams. Uh, we thought it would be helpful for uh, us to put together a conversation series where we get to talk to people who are doing work right here in our community about all of the issues that we talk about, uh, all of the directives to the exiles that we see in Jeremiah 29. And so I'm super excited uh, to be uh, <laughs> uh, putting together this uh, conversation series that has run through June and July. Uh, we'll uh, announce the dates this week, so you'll be able to do that. They'll be streaming on Facebook Live. We're bringing in a bunch of great speakers for, uh, who are doing work in the neighborhood. We have a great crew of moderators that have agreed to be a part of this series from our church. Yeah, uh, anybody who's been around ARC for a while knows that we have a wealth of knowledge and talent here, and I'm so grateful to be able to highlight that, as well as get you to meet some of the wonderful people who are doing great things right here in our neighborhood. So I'm super excited about it, and I hope everyone will tune in Thursday nights on Facebook Live. So if you're not a follower of ARC's Facebook page, please go ahead and search that and follow that, like that, so you'll get those notifications on uh, for AR on at Atacosta River Church is the Facebook page. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, sis. All right, and one final announcement. I'm going to say this this week. I'm going to say this next week. So we all know, or some of you, most of us know, Pastor T is going to be taking sabbatical starting on June 1st. So what that means is right now he is going and seeing Eden graduate this weekend. We'll be back next weekend to do one more sermon. So here's our ask. As elders, we want to make sure that during his sabbatical, he does get to rest. So if you really, really need to talk to Pastor T, email him like now, like right now. And only if you really, really need to, because he's trying to shore up everything to be able to take that break. In that meantime, the rest of the pastors are happy to talk to you. Pastor Tunde, Pastor Tim, Pastor Dennis, myself. And so we want to be sensitive to that. So just preparing you, bring out that warning right now so that he can just be a member, come on up. And then over the summer, we can just focus on encouraging him, letting him rest and all that. Be good with that? Yeah. All right. Thanks, church. So now before we continue on uh, worshiping, just take a moment of silence, rest our hearts, and prepare for worship. Our call to worship today comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 26. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of Yahweh, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. Let's continue in worship this morning. Praise the Lord. Please feel free to stand up and join us uh, as we worship the one who is worthy, the only God. And as Pastor George um, read from the scripture, he will satisfy us and his people will not be put to shame. Um, we pray that as you sing the song, just meditate on the words as well and just lift up our voices. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close 
nothing can compare. Your living holy, your presence. I tasted and see of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence. Help everyone sing. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more than you'll ever come for. Nothing can compare. Your living Your presence, God. I've tasted and I've seen. I've tasted and of the sweetest of the sweetest of love. When my heart beats and my shame shame is all Only in your presence, God. Your presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Comfort this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome by your presence. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Let us be more aware 
face. The moment that I see you face. All my days. 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 no other way, Lord. You made a way that we can be reconciled to you. So, God, we thank you and we worship you this morning.
and he was standing here, holding it more to make
so many things you provide you provide you know things we need for our body but you you always guarantee to provide your presence and um, provide a way to be faithful um, you provide your promises and um, not only that you made a way but that you, you made it known to us that there is a way um, so God, there's so many things that we can go on and on that you provided for us. And I pray that every time we think about it, we just see more and more of what you provided um, and receive that, receive all those things. Because when we, even when we reject that, those things, um, that, that's not good. <laughs> we want to take in what you want for us. So help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with us in your Bible, says Ezekiel 34. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones you have not strengthened, the sick have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, 
The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For, the, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring out, bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own lands and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. For as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit 
and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am their Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, they shall no more be afraid to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the Lord God. Yeah. This is the word of the Lord. Remain standing for the pastoral prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have made yourself known the one true God. God over all things, the God who does all things by his mighty hand. Lord, you didn't leave us here on earth to languish to be confused by what we saw around us, but you made yourself known, you gave us your name, that we might be able to call on, be saved. Lord, you've done all these things. You, you, you didn't have to come down here. You didn't, you didn't have to, to, to go out of your way for us, but you did because you loved us. You made us. You wanted to, to restore us to yourself. You called us by name. And we ask that we would think on these things and dwell on these things, that they'd be made uh, clear to us day after day, that it would cause us to rejoice and anxiously await your coming, that we might be more like you, be, to see you, be like you. Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done. Father, we ask that as your church, that we would think on the message of the gospel daily. That we think on the fact that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins, that we only repent of our sins and believe in that work, that we would be saved. We pray, Lord, that this message would go out towards seven and we're eight clearly. We pray that even this morning that someone would hear this message and be saved and turn to you, Lord. Father, we ask that as a church, that we would be a merciful church, that we would show good works in your name, that this message might go out. We pray, Lord, for the PSA teams, that as we this summer contemplate the ways that we can show mercy on the block, that we would do so and call us to action, that would be made effective. That, Lord, we wouldn't only just, just preach the message, but we would show that to people. By, through practical ways, by having people in our homes, Lord, by, by sharing generously with others. Lord, we pray that we would be a merciful church. Lord, we ask that you cause us to grow into maturity, that we would sharpen one another daily, that we'd be encouraging one another, calling one another, texting, emailing, being in each other's homes, Lord. We, we pray, Lord, that, that as vaccines roll out and that as the, the virus wanes, Lord, that we would take the opportunity to grow closer to one another. For those in the church who may not have even been able to meet another church member in person, that they would be encouraged, Lord, like being encouraged by the coming of Titus, 
And we build one another up daily, equipping one another, teaching one another, singing with one another. Lord, we ask that as we do this, that it would multiply us, that it would be that would be beautiful to outsiders, that they see this unique family of God different in different ways, different ages, different different heights, different hues of skin, different, different jobs, Lord, different places. That we're made into one family by this amazing work that the Lord God himself came to redeem a people from all nations. Lord, multiply us, plant more churches. We pray just for down the street, Congress Heights Community Church, that they would be effective in ministry, that, that people will be saved there this morning. We pray for mercy of Christ Fellowship Church in Lincoln Heights, that they continue to grow and that people would come to know who you are. Father, we pray for the next truth plan. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up in some of our hearts and we go out, that we would, that we would seek to make your name known in another place. That this family of God could still be built up. We pray that not only here in this community, but we also pray this for the rest of the globe, the four corners. We pray for that in Thailand and in Kenya. Lord, we pray that, that you, would, you would continue to send missionaries to these places. Equip them, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for the work of the various agencies that are that are equipping and, and sending people out. We pray that you continue to provide these laborers. Though they are few, Lord, we pray that they would be faithful. We think of our missionaries and continue to, to um, pour into your word, that they they, are, they, they be um, learning from your word daily, that they be encouraged by it and girded up by that, so that they might be equipped and be made effective, that your message might be going out. Lord, we pray that that would be central this morning as we contemplate the Lord's Supper in the way that you prescribe to us to continually think about your work on the cross. We pray today that we would understand it and that we would receive it. We pray for Colin as he preaches the word to us, that, um, that it, would, it would stir up in us um, a, a, a zeal for the gospel, maybe that we haven't had even in the past week or the past month or the past year, Lord. So we focus around the word and that it would encourage us and build each one here up. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We just say amen. Great is your mercy towards me, more than God towards me. Your tender mercy I see day after day.
this morning, y'all. I tell you, I could have sat and continued to keep on worshiping in song this morning. I mean, it was so good, right? 
It was so good. I could have continued to do that. But I know that that is right that we turn to God's word and we also worship in, in his word this morning. This reminded the singing, man, God has made a way for us. God has made a way for us. And that way is through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that no man, no woman can come to the father unless they come through the son. His son is Jesus. Man, he's made a way, y'all. He's made a way. Let's praise Jesus for that. Man, I'm delighted to be here with y'all this morning. I'm really delighted to share the word with y'all this morning. And I tell you, as, as Pastor George was speaking, I had a few things I was going to say. And, and he, it's like it went right along with what I was going to say. The spirit was moving. You know, he said, Pastor T is going on sabbatical. He said, if you guys got, you may not have heard it, but if you guys got any super spiritual questions, ask the pastor. Leave Pastor T out, though. Ask Pastor George. Pastor Tunde, Pastor Dennis, or Pastor Tim. Don't even ask me. You ask me a super spiritual question, you want a super spiritual answer, I'll point you to one of the pastors. All right? And, man, it's a day-to-day where I'm thinking about the Lord. And even as we're up here and I know people are hot, I'm saying to myself, man, I think Pastor T knew what was going on. <laughs> nah, seriously. I know you probably see me, Pastor T. Show us out. Um, he... He probably knew what was going on. It's going to be 90 degrees today. He was like, man, I'm about to be in the AC. And then I'm taking off for the whole summer. Let somebody else get up there underneath that sun. I have to. I have to. Um, but this is our love language. And with all jokes aside, though, man, it's an honor again, and it's a pleasure to share the word with y'all this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 31. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn there now. And as you turn there, I'll let us, I'll remind you of how we actually got to Mark 14. So if you've been with us over the last couple of months, Pastor T has actually been preaching through the gospel of Mark. We're in a sermon series called Follow Me. We're at the tail end of this series. As I said, we'll be in chapter 14. Mark's gospel has 16 chapters. And from the beginning of Mark's gospel, right, what we see is that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God. We see that from the beginning, from the first sentences in this gospel, we see that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Mark's gospel is divided into two sections. We have the first eight chapters, Jesus is doing much of his ministry in Galilee. He's doing a lot of teaching. He's teaching so well that people are saying to him, man, this man teaches as one who has authority, not like one of our scribes, right? He's teaching as one who is, is completely different. Not only is he teaching over in Galilee, he also has a ministry of miracles, right? So he's healing people who are sick with uh, evil spirits, who have leprosy, who are deaf, who are blind. Man, Jesus even raises a little girl from the dead, y'all. This is the son of God, right? We come to chapter 8, verse 29. And what happens in that chapter is a turning point to the gospel of Mark. What happens there is if you remember, Peter will confess that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. 
And from that time on, we moved from Jesus' ministry in Galilee, his home base, Capernaum, and we start moving south towards Jerusalem. But in that time, at this turning point, as Jesus has a broad ministry of all, what he's doing now is he's more teaching his disciples as they're on the way to Jerusalem. And what he's teaching them is something that he hasn't been teaching before. He's teaching them that he will die. Well, first he's teaching them he'll be betrayed, he'll die, he'll be buried, and then three days later, he'll be risen from the grave. This is what he starts to teach them. He teaches them this in chapter 8. He teaches them this in chapter 9. He teaches them this in chapter 10 as he's leading them into Jerusalem. Chapter 11, he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's on a cult. He makes his way into Jerusalem. He makes his way to the temple. It's late. There's no one there. He leaves. He departs the temple and he heads back to Bethlehem. Chapter 12, he's doing some teaching around the religious leaders. They're asking him all sorts of questions. They're trying to get Jesus folded up so they could trick him. They're trying to find ways that they could plot against him so they could possibly take his life. As we saw last week in chapter 13, if you were with us, it's an amazing discourse. As Jesus speaks about future things to happen, speaks about the destruction of the temple, which has already happened, as Pastor T told us in 70 AD, and he speaks about his second coming. And even with all the prophecies that Jesus is speaking about in chapter 13, the most important thing that we're to take away from that is Christians stay awake because he's coming back. Don't let him find you sleeping. Stay awake, stay woke, as Pastor T told us in the word last week. And so now we find ourselves here in chapter 14. In chapter 14, we're going to see a couple different scenes. We're going to see the religious leaders plot against Jesus' life. We're going to see Jesus anointed for burial. Right? We're also going to see a betrayal by a close friend, disciple, a betrayal by Judas. After that, we're going to see preparation for the Passover. Following the preparation for the Passover, we're going to get to the Lord's Supper. And after the Lord's Supper, we'll see the prophecy of the denial. The denial of broadly and generally the disciples, but more specifically, the denial of Peter denying Christ. Well, if you have chapter 14 with me this morning, let's go ahead and read together. Or listen as I read. It was now two days before the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of pure appointment, of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. 
And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, they're prepared for us. And his disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it came evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who was eating with you. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? He said, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man had, would not have been born. And as he was eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, if they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. If you're taking notes this morning, I've divided this, I've outlined this passage in two different parts. Each part has three points. Part one, the plot, the treatment of Jesus by the religious leaders. We'll see that in verses one and two. Point two, the anointing, the treatment of Jesus by an unknown woman, a true disciple. Verses three through nine. Point three in the first part, the betrayal, the treatment of Jesus by one of his closest friends. Verses 10 through 11. Part two, we'll be looking at the Passover preparation. True disciples must have confidence in Jesus and trust in Jesus. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 21. The next point is the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the new covenant. We'll see that in 22, verses 22 through 25. And the last point, even now, Jesus is faithful, even though his disciples are not. 26 through 31. 
These first 11 verses that we're going to go through now, just by way of some helpful teaching. Um, the first 11 verses, you have two different events going on. So verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11 are chronological in order. 3 through 9 is a story that actually happened a few days earlier. You can see that in John, chapter, you can see that in John chapter 12 if you want to look more for that. But it happened a few days earlier. John chapter 12 tells us this anointing actually happened six days before the Passover. You'll see here that where we're talking about now, or, or where verses 1 and 2 take us in time, is today before the Passover. So this anointing that will come to 3 through 9 actually happened four days before the plotting and the betrayal by Judas. So I just wanted to note that that would be helpful as we're thinking through this together. The scene is set. It's now two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and scribes, they're plotting together, they're conspiring together about their to arrest Jesus and how they're going to kill him. They're doing all of this during the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Some may know, some may not. The Passover was a feast that the Jews took in remembrance of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So at one point, the Jews, the Hebrew people were slaves in Israel. And the way that God released them from their slavery in Israel was through plagues. There were 10 plagues exactly. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn child and animal in all the regions of Egypt. So God told Moses, tell my people that they are to get a lamb that is without blemish, that is a year old, and that's a male, and they must sacrifice this lamb. After they sacrifice the lamb, they're to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. Placing the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, what this is going to do is this was going to have God's wrath, God's death, pass over the home of anyone who had the blood on the doorpost. Amen. So God's judgment wasn't going to fall on anyone's home that had the blood to sacrifice lamb on their doorpost. And so this is this this is the way that God freed Israel from their slavery under the oppressive hand of Egypt. And so this is what they're commemorating right now as we're reading this. And so the feast of unleavened bread is unleavened bread was supposed to be eaten with the Passover meal. So after the lamb was slaughtered, the blood was put on the doorpost. This all happened. The, the lamb was slaughtered in the afternoon. In the evening time, what they did is they roasted the lamb. And they would eat the lamb. And they would eat the lamb with unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread was supposed to be eaten for seven days after that. They weren't supposed to have any leaven in their bread or eat any of it for seven days after that. It was so severe that if anybody would have eaten leaven after that, they would keep them to this is how powerful God's program is. This is where we find ourselves. You got the chief priests and the scribes. These are two groups of people that are supposed to be helping God's people see God more clearly, 
Hope that people worship him rightly as the chief priests for the ones who were assigned to of the temple and they were collecting taxes and they would have been the ones who would have been rightly sacrificing the lamb. And then you got described, you know, the chief of the law, the ones who studied Torah, the ones who knew the law of Moses like the back of their hand. These two groups who are supposed to be helping God's people see him more clearly, they're actually they're plotting to kill the Son of God, God of the flesh. And they said you gotta do it by stealth. Why are they gonna do it by stealth? Well, verse 2 tells us they don't want an uproar. They can't do it during the speech. There will be an uproar. But why is that? So Jerusalem generally on any given day had about 50,000 people. During this feast, Jerusalem was swelled up to about 250,000 people. So think about the 4th of July and think about New Year's Eve all converging in downtown D.C. People from all over Israel, as north as Galilee, as south as, as Judah, are coming up into Jerusalem. For this speech, there's gonna be many people there, right? There's gonna be tons of people there. These people that are gonna come, they know Jesus. If you've been with us, or if you've read Mark's gospel, or really any of the gospels, you will see that people came from all regions of Israel to come to Jesus. Well, why? I mean, Jesus was teaching as, as one who had authority. Not only that, but Jesus was healing people, he healed many people. In, in chapter 6 of, of this gospel, it says that he was healing so many people that they didn't even have the leisure to eat. People were coming from all over the place. It was so crowded at one point that Jesus had to get out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee because so many people were crowding the area that he had to preach from a boat out in the sea. I'm just trying to get y'all to understand how many people love Jesus. That's why they said they couldn't do it during the feast. Because there would have been a riot. Nobody would have let Jesus go down. Nobody would let Jesus get jumped. There was no way in the world Jesus was going to go down like that. Everybody there would have tackled those religious leaders. Those religious leaders were extortioners. They weren't really loving the people, but Jesus actually did love them. And while he was in, so that's point, that's point one. How, how was Jesus treated by the religious leaders? Well, the text tells us that they wanted to kill him. That's how he was treated by the religious leaders, y'all. Those who actually should have been looking for Jesus, those who actually uh, should have been um, eagerly waiting for his return, those who worshiping him, they're actually they're trying to kill him. Or to the anointing. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster glass with an ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the back and put her on her head. There were some who said to themselves, they didn't. Why would the ointment waste it like that? So some could be sold for a few hundred denarii and give it to the poor and exploit her. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has got a beautiful thing. You will always have the poor for you. Whenever you you will always have the poor with you, 
And whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She done what she cut you and much in my body beforehand. And truly, I say, whenever, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done is total memory of that. The location of Bethany was a place where Jesus spent most of his time when he was when he wanted to be close to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Bethany, all of that is in the region of Judea. Jesus didn't spend much of his time down in the temple in Jerusalem where the religious leaders are. No, he spent his time in the outer in the outer regions with the religious folks. I mean, with the common folks. It wasn't with the religious folks. He spent a lot of time there because his friends were there. If you remember from another gospel, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Massachusetts. So again, we find him in Bethlehem, in the house of Simon the leper. So you may come, you may say, man, Simon the leper. If you know anything about leprosy, if this guy has leprosy, you're like, why am I in the house with a leper? Generally, the lepers were supposed to be outcasts, right? They weren't supposed to be around people at all. Because people thought that if you were around somebody who had leprosy, you could have gotten leprosy. They were social outcasts. They had to quarantine. We all know about that during the season of COVID, don't we? Right? So think about that. If he had leprosy, they wouldn't be with him. They wouldn't be reclining at a table. They definitely wouldn't be eating. So why is it a mention of him being a leper? Well, Simon was a very common Jewish name. And so the leper is a nickname, like a designation. Saying like this, this dude Simon the leper. This is this guy. You, as you know, Peter's name is Simon, right? So it's just a designation to say this is this person to clarify what Mark is trying to do for us. So that this guy Simon's house was kind of a table. Jesus is there. Um, this woman comes in with an alabaster flask, right? A small maybe jar of perfume, pure nard. Very costly. Nard, a plant from India, the Himalayas. It's pure, so it's not diluted at all. Very costly. She breaks this flask and pours it over Jesus' head. In the Gospel of John, we're told that this woman is married. She's not named there. I don't think that it's it's important that, that she be named, or it's not really important that she's named. That's not the point of the passage here. But I just wanted to let you guys know that we find out from John's gospel that, that this is Mary who comes in and pours this perfume over Jesus' head. But some there become very, very angry. And they say to themselves, why was this wasted? Brothers and sisters, think about this now. Mary is anointing Jesus, and they're talking about why was it wasted? The Son of God is being anointed. The Holy One of God, who is priceless, is being anointed. And they're talking about why is this being wasted? They ain't get it. They didn't get it, do we? Man, I tell you, it's so great that we have details from the other Gospels. So, what this says, 
they got, they became indignant. The Gospel of Matthew 26 tells us it was actually the disciples. And then we get even more specific in, in John's Gospel that said it was actually Judas. Judas was the one who was angry. Why was Judas angry? Because he couldn't get that money. Judas says, this thing could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. 300 denarii, that's, that's a year's wages in a bottle that just gets broken and thrown over Jesus' head. Judas wanted that money. Why do I say that? Again, John's gospel tells us that Judas was the treasurer. He was the money bag holder. He had the money, right? So if he's the person who's holding the money, probably the whole time, man, Judas was probably pocketing money the entire time. He's with them. On the road, he's putting coins in his pocket. He said, okay, this is going to be for the disciples of Jesus. This is going to be for me. When this woman comes and breaks this, this jar, he's like, man, that's, that's my money right there. It's gone. I'm not going to be able to get that. He's upset. And the thing about it is, as I was reading this text and just thinking about it, the thing about it is, as he's upset, guess what? The disciples probably follow suit. Because they're trying to be holier than thou. You just can't be given to the poor. Y'all, Jesus is in your midst. What are y'all talking about? Jesus is in your midst. This could have been given to the poor, though. Why not sold and given to the poor? Jesus says, man, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Is Jesus saying that he doesn't care about the poor? Absolutely not. God's people should be marked with caring for the poor. We should be marked with caring for the needy. You can look back into Deuteronomy 15, 11. It says, he says there, man, you will always have, God says you will always have the poor in the land with you. Take care of the needy, brother. We're supposed to care for the needy. What Jesus is saying here is that when it comes to Jesus and it comes to the poor, Jesus is priority. We got to be caring about and worshiping Jesus more than we care about and worship the poor. Without that, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, y'all. Excuse me, we've got wind and stuff blowing around here. So I'm gonna try to keep it, I'm gonna try to keep it together. <clears throat> so as Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. I will not always be with you. And what is he talking about there? Why is Jesus saying that he won't always be with them? Well, as you remember, Jesus has already been teaching his disciples who are there, he's gonna die. He's gonna die, he's gonna be buried, he's gonna rise again. They're still not getting it. You know, they're still sitting there. And I'm telling you, I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, I probably wouldn't have gotten it either. But through all, and I think it's, it's specific that we point this out, through all the men that were there, who knows who Jesus truly is? It's a woman. That's who truly knew who Jesus was, was this woman. This woman was unnamed here, but we know her as Mary. She knew who Jesus was. She knew that she was in the presence of the Son of God. That's why what she had, Although she knew how much it was worth, it wasn't worth it to her to keep it. It was more worth it to her to anoint Jesus with it. And that's what she did. And that's what she did. She knew. She knew that. Think about this, y'all, for a second. If this is Mary, Jesus spent much time with Mary, Martha, Lazarus. We see in John's gospel that Jesus comes to Mary and Martha. Martha's around the house busy, doing busy work. Mary is what? At the feet of Jesus. Learning. I'm sure Jesus told her about the resurrection. I'm sure Jesus told her that 
he would die and that he would be risen three days later. Not only did Jesus tell her these things, Mary knew firsthand. Her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead, y'all. She would believe that he was raised from the dead because she saw what the Christ had done for her brother. So when he said he would die, she knew his time was coming and she would come to anoint him beforehand for burial. And he says, man, what she has done for me has actually been a good thing. She has done what she could. And she will get me prepared for burial. And he says, truly, I say to you, whenever, wherever, this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told of in memory of her. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, I promised your house and the house of your fathers to go in and out before me. But the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be like the esteemed. First Samuel 2.30. Jesus honored this woman because she honored Jesus. The treatment of Jesus by an unknown woman or two disciples. How did she treat Jesus? Well, the unknown woman treated Jesus as she should have, a true disciple, accepting his sacrificing mission and worshiping him with everything she had. It was a sacrifice of devotion and worship to him. Brothers and sisters, what are you willing to give to worship Jesus? What are you not willing to give up to worship Jesus? It's a true question. This woman gave up an enormous amount of money to worship Jesus. What is it that we're holding on to that's holding us back from worshiping the King? The betrayal, point three. The treatment of Jesus by one of his closest disciples. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And so we saw an opportunity to betray him. Man, Judas being mentioned as one of the twelve just adds an extra weight and magnitude to this betrayal. Why do I say that? Because one of the 12 means it's one of Jesus' close disciples. I mean, this dude was with Jesus 24-7. Not only did he hear him teach, did he hear him preach, but he saw all the work that Jesus did with his hands. He wasn't just some ordinary disciple following the law. No, he was in the inner circle. He was one of the 12. And yet he would betray Jesus for his money. Man, we're told in Matthew 26, 15 that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, y'all. 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. While this woman, Mary, would give up an enormous amount. 
So for 30 pieces of silver, Judas would betray the Son of God to death, while for an enormous amount, Mary would anoint the Son of God to death. Come on, man. Think about that. Don't betray the eternal for what is temporal, y'all. Do not betray what is forever for what is temporary. This stuff here looks really good. It looks like it's going to last forever. But everything that shines and glimmer ain't gold, y'all. It just is not. It's not. Do not, do not forsake what is eternal for what lasts but for a moment and then it's gone. That's what Judas did. Part two. The Passover preparation. True disciples must have confidence in Jesus and trust in Jesus. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the path of a lamb, his disciples said to him, where shall we go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and they went, he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master about the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepared for us. And his disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. It's now the first day of unleavened bread. We moved from what was Wednesday, two days before the Passover. To now what is Thursday, right? These time designations, Mark is going to start to give us as we slowly move towards the end. Why? Because we'll see that as Jesus was telling his disciples that he would die, he would bury for three days and rise again. We're going to see that, right? And, and if you follow us and continue to go with us, or if you take your time to read Mark's gospel on your own, or if you have already, you'll see that he's coming to his death, and it will be Mark three days that he will. Stay in the grave and then he'll lie. So these times of the nation are important here in this gospel as Mark is trying to show us where we're going. So it's now Thursday. This is the night that the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. If they're still in the region of Bethany, which we presume that they are, they need to go into Jerusalem, which is the city, to sacrifice the lamb. The lamb had to be sacrificed at the temple. So he sends two of his disciples into the city. Not only did he send them into the city, but he sends them with instructions. He says, go into the city. You're going to see a man with a jar of water. This man with a jar of water, follow him. Go into the house. Tell the master of the house, hey, the disciples are here. Jesus is coming. Where can we eat the Passover at? He's going to show you a room. What? Why is this even mentioned here? Why is it mentioned here like that? I think, I think particularly because 
This shows to Jesus' foreknowledge. This shows again to one of the attributes of his divinity. If you guys remember in chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, the story with the cult, it's doing the exact same thing, right? So the story with the cult, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He says, yo, two of y'all, go get me a cult. You'll see one tied up. Go untie it. People are actually going to say to you, what are y'all doing? Tell them that the Lord has need of it and will return it soon. Exactly as he told them in chapter 11, it exactly happened the exact same way. Again, pointing to Jesus' foreknowledge, his deity. I think in the same way, that's what we're seeing here in verses 3 through 15. Jesus gives instruction. The disciples go out and they find it just as Jesus has told them. We're actually told in, in, in uh, Luke's gospel, I believe it is, that this is actually Peter and John. So two of the supposed disciples. And they actually go out with it. They actually go out and they actually do what Jesus is asking them to do. Now, in this foreknowledge, you, you may come across some people who you may find when you're sharing the gospel. And there's some people, man, who will tell you, you know, especially if you talk about, man, we're all made in the image of God. Yes, we are. There's some people that you may find and say, yeah, man, I'm God. I'm a little God. We are not little God, y'all. All right. God has attributes that he shares with us, communicable and incommunicable attributes that he does not share with us. So if anybody ever tells you they're a little God, they're not. We don't have foreknowledge. I wish I did. Wednesday night, sharing the sermon. I noticed this little game coming on. And I'm like, man, I don't even got to watch this game. I already know Steph Curry and the Warriors going to beat LeBum and the Bakers. I already know. There's no doubt about it. LeBum and the Bakers are going down. I don't got to watch this game. But, you know, I put the game on and started watching it. And sure enough, yo, my foreknowledge was about to come through because they looked like they was going to win. So I'm about to be like, yo, yo, I may be a little G, little God, yo. Man, a minute and some change left. This dude, LeBum, man, throw up a, throw this shot up. He's looking at stuff. I can't see. I can't see. Bro, how you can't see? You just hit that shot like that. Come on, man. Anyhow, we can talk about that after the same thing. But, but all that to say, I don't have foreknowledge. We don't have foreknowledge, y'all. If I did, I would have said, yo, they, the bums, the fakers going to lose, they would have lost. But that's not what happened. Steph took the L, man. Three points, he took the L. So tell people, man, they're not little gods. We're not. We don't have it like that. That's for you, Pastor T. <laughs> So my question here is, though, for us back to the text, more serious pressing matters is when Jesus commands us to do something, what do we do? Do we just go like the disciples did? Do we trust Jesus and do we just go? Or do we sit more reluctantly and question? Like, man, I, I don't know. I'm about to go into the city and you're telling me a man's going to be carrying a jar of water. First off, ancient Israel, men didn't carry jars of water. So this is something that just... It's unheard of. They don't question it, though. They say, this man is actually going to come up to them. They say, when this man comes up to him, you follow him. I'd have been like, how does this man know me? Do I know him? Have I ever seen him before? How am I going to know it's the right one? I'd have had all sorts of questions in my heart. And then Jesus says, you're going to enter the house of somebody who knows you. Now he knows me because you're going to say to him, teacher. So if this man is knows Jesus' teacher, this person whose house it is must have been a disciple of the Lord. And I'd have been, again, like, do I know this? 
person. Again, this is Passover, Jerusalem, 250,000. How do you to find a, a room that can accommodate 13 people for the Passover meal? Man, Jesus is divine, y'all. He's God. How we set it up, I don't know, but I know he's God and he has the power to do so. And so that's what he does. But again, I would have had all sorts of questions. Right? I'd have been like, man, what is going on here? Is that what we do? And don't get me wrong, Jesus may not speak to you directly, but he got his word. He talked to us in here. Right? He talked to us in his word. He gives us clear commands in his word of things that God's people should do, of things that God's people should not do. Man, do we question those black and white commands? Do we sit there more reluctantly like, I don't know, I'm a question, I'm going to find a loophole to do me and do what I want to do. Be like the disciples here, at least in this particular uh, event. Do what Jesus calls you to do and just go. Especially if it's clear, just go and follow the commands of Jesus. A true disciple must have confidence in Jesus and must trust in Jesus. <clears throat> and when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table, eating, Jesus said, Truly, I said to you, one of you will betray me. And one of you will betray me. This one who's eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, Is it a high? He said to them, It's one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread in the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes and is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man would not have been born. Evening has come, the Passover lamb has been slain, and the disciples now with Jesus are getting ready to eat the meal. Lambs are roasted, they're getting ready to eat this meal with Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, while reclining, while eating, that truly one of you will betray me. I mean, y'all, this is a, a meal that's supposed to be commemorating their freedom. Their people's freedom from slavery in Egypt. They got a good lamb. They got the unleavened bread. And not only do they have that, I'm sure they probably they have some wine with them. And they're supposed to be enjoying them. And then out of nowhere, Jesus has this buzz kill. And he's like, yo, somebody's going to betray me. And the disciples say, well, it tells us the disciples actually become sorrowful. And they say, man, one after the other, is it I? Again, this section here tells me that even in them saying, is it I? Do they trust and believe that when Jesus says one of them will betray him, that that's probably going to happen? Because now they're even questioning themselves. Yo, is it I? Mark is looking at John and saying, yo, I mean, Peter's looking at John and saying, is it I? James is looking at Andrew and he's saying, yo, is it I? 
But yo, why why would it be that the disciples are even questioning is it I? So real quickly, back in back in chapter eight, right, where Jesus is teaching about him being betrayed, him having to die, bury, rise again. Right after that, Peter rebukes him and says, nah, not you. You're not going out like that. He didn't get it. He wanted Jesus to stick around. He was going to follow Jesus. He, when, when, when Jesus came into his power and took over Rome, Peter was going to be right there. Commander, general, lieutenant. I'm, I'm the man who's going to lead the army. He didn't want Jesus to die. He didn't understand it. He wanted his glory. In chapter 9, where Jesus again is teaching, I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests and I'm going to be betrayed to the teachers of the law. And I'll be delivered over to their hands, condemned to death, and then I'll rise again. Right after that, what are the disciples talking about, if you guys remember? They're talking about who's going to be the greatest amongst them. They're talking about who's going to be the greatest amongst them and the greatest act in the world is about to take place by the greatest person in the world. They were seeking their glory. Why would they be asking, is it I? Because on the way to Jerusalem in chapter 10, when Jesus is teaching this exact same thing, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be condemned to death. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. John and Andrew approach Jesus and say, yo, when you come into your glory, make sure I'm on your left and he's on your right in your glory. They weren't concerned about Jesus' glory. They were concerned about their own glory. So when Jesus' kingdom comes and you see Jesus, you're going to see me left and right hand. They missed it. They did not get it. Their motives of their heart more pure, as pure as one heart can be, right? The Bible tells our heart is desperately wicked, but even their motives at all weren't pure in that sense. They did not know who Jesus was. They wanted his glory. They wanted glory for themselves. In all actuality, in all truth, truth, in all truth, we do that, man. All of us want and seek our own glory. We're not the glory of the Lord. Hmm. He says that he's dipping bread in a dish. It just shows again to the closeness. It's one of the 12. He's eating bread with them. He's breaking bread with them. This is family, y'all. This ain't no stranger. We're eating together. I don't know how y'all do it, but where I'm at from, man, eat with somebody, they family. You know what I'm saying? That's my brother. That's my sister. We're breaking bread together. That's somebody who's close to me. Somebody who's close enough. I'm letting them in my house. I'm letting them around me. I'm definitely not letting somebody around me who's going to betray me. There's no way in the world. I'm not doing that. But he said, Jesus says here that the one who will betray him actually is one who's one who is the closest, one of the closest ones with him. But he tells us why this must happen. He says in verse 21, for the son of man goes as written of him. I don't think that Jesus is specifically talking about any Old Testament passage here. Although if you think about any Old Testament passage that speaks about Jesus giving his life for the ransom for many, I think instantly of Isaiah 53, that could definitely apply here. Or we could think about even just as I said earlier chapters where Jesus is telling us he's going to die, he's going to be buried in three days, so rise again. 
He's saying this is already written. So the Son of Man is going to go as he's supposed to go. Uh, but let me tell you, whoa, condemn the man who betrays the Son of God. It would have been better if this man would not have been born. Well, why would it have been better if this man who betrays Jesus would not have been born? Because as he betrays Jesus, y'all, the wrath of God will eventually fall on Judas. And there will be no escape for him. So it would have been better if he would not have been born. Because if he would not have been born, he would never have had to face God's wrath. And y'all, I know some of y'all are probably thinking, especially y'all who are students of the word, which I hope is everybody here. Well, but Jesus prophesied this. This is a prophecy of old. So wasn't Judas destined for this? Yes. Did Judas make his own decision? Yes. It's really for us in our finite minds a theological conundrum. But if you go ahead and you look in Acts chapter 2, Peter at, at, at Pentecost, he says, man, man, you guys did uh, this wicked deed. You killed and murdered the son of God, but it was done by the acts of, but, but it was done by the foreknowledge of God. He says this again in Acts chapter 4. Something very similar. So how we reconcile this, y'all, it's very difficult. But what I will say is God makes it clear in his word that although he has foreknowledge and plans things to happen, we are not beyond human responsibility for our actions. Let's move into the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for men. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This supper now falls underneath the umbrella of the Passover meal. This is the Passover meal. Remember again the significance of the Passover. There's a slaughtered, as they're remembering and commemorating, there's a slaughtered lamb. The lamb is slaughtered, blood is put on the doorpost so that Jesus, so that God passes over any home where this blood is at. This is the context of this supper. Right? Jesus looks at his disciples and he breaks the unleavened bread. And he says, This is my body that will be broken for you. Right? In, in, in Luke's rendering of this, he says, This is my body that will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what we do today. The cup is going to represent blood. Jesus' blood is going to be poured out for many. Again, think about this. The Passover, lamb's blood is, is spilt. And this blood that's spilt goes on the doorpost. And this blood that's on the doorpost will allow, will, will show God that he can pass over this home. And the Hebrews' children, the firstborn, won't die. Again, this is the umbrella of the supper. So as the disciples are eating and Jesus is, again, teaching, 
He's saying, yo, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be spilled for you. Jesus is the Passover lamb. So Jesus is the one without blemish, right? Jesus came into the world. He's fully man. He's fully God. He, not only is he going to die, y'all, but sometimes we forget that he lived. He lived 33 years righteously. So when it comes down, he can actually be the lamb without spot and blemish. He's blameless. So 33 years living, not only just living, but teaching, not only just teaching, but healing, healing in a way of even raising people from the dead, y'all. And then he comes with a mission now. And his mission is to pour out his blood for men. His mission is to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the good news. But I tell you, it wouldn't be as great of a news if all he did was die. But he continues to keep on teaching, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. He's risen. He lived. He lived. So in the same way, in the same way that in Egypt, those families who had blood on their doorposts and God passed over their home. If you trust in Jesus, if you turn from your sin, if you stop doing you and rejecting God, if you look towards Jesus, believe in him, trust in his sacrifice, trust that God raised him from the grave. Guess what? When judgment, when the judgment of God comes, it's going to pass over. It's going to pass over. you. That is the Passover. That is what this is about. The Lord Jesus has made a way, as we sung earlier, the Lord Jesus has made a way for us. When his judgment comes, y'all, because the judgment will come. It will come, and it's right that it comes. If you are covered by the blood of Jesus, he will pass over you. But I'll tell you, friends, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, when his wrath comes, when death comes, it won't pass over you. It will not pass over you. Sad to say you'll have your separation from God forever, and you'll be under his wrath forever, forever, forever. Remember what he says just a few sentences earlier. It would have been better if this man would not have been born. Don't let God find you still dead in your sins. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He's the risen Savior. He's the Passover Lamb. I got the Zachariah somehow. Oh, Jesus said that he's the new covenant, y'all. The old covenant was meant to point people to Jesus. The old covenant is now obsolete. There's no need for it anymore. The religious leaders thought that this would make them righteous. Our Hebrew Israelite brothers and sisters will say that the religious law is what we keep to make us righteous. We hold to the dietary laws. We, we know the Torah. We know the law of Moses. 
Man, they sound like modern day Pharisees and scribes. Let me tell you, there's no possible way that any of us would give it the law of God perfect. There is a better covenant, and that better covenant is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the covenant. You tell that Hebrew Israelite friend that they have got it totally wrong. You take them to Galatians chapter 5 and tell them they are free in Christ. They no longer need to be under the yoke and the weight of slavery because Christ has set you free. Why would you then return to slavery? Why would you return to slavery if he made a way? So you can tell that Hebrew Israelite friend that while I hear what you're saying, you're wrong. Jesus made a way for me. He made a way for you. You take them to the Bible. You show them the scriptures. You show them that they're free. You show them that they're actually in slavery. They want to tell us that we're in slavery underneath the white man's religion. You tell us they're in slavery. But they're in slavery to the law, which was never meant to make them righteous at all. Christ. Well, let me try to come to an end. We had us out here for a very long time. Right? I'm sorry about that, y'all. Um, the wind stirs up. Hey, Jesus, I need you to calm the winds, man. I need you to calm these winds. I know you can do it. I've seen it. We've seen it in the world. I know you can do it. Um, but, huh. Jesus says that he won't drink again of this fruit until new again in the kingdom of God. Jesus here is talking again about his coming. He's talking about when his kingship will be fully realized. Revelation tells us of a, of a new earth. It tells us of a new heaven. It tells us of a, of a new Jerusalem where there will be no temple because the Lord God will be the temple. And this is where he will have this will again. There's hope here because we're waiting for his return. Amen? We're waiting for his return. After this meal, they sung a hymn. And so this is the final point, y'all, by the way. The denial of Jesus is faithful even though his disciples are not. Jesus is faithful even though his disciples are not. They sung a hymn, and after singing that hymn, they went to a place that was familiar to all of them, not at all. And them singing a hymn, it probably would have been one of the psalms. This is kind of normally, traditionally, what happened after the Passover meal. They were singing the psalm, like Psalm one fifteen to one eighteen, or something like that. They were singing these psalms, and would just remember how God had freed them. The oppressive hand of Jesus, slavery. And after this meal is done, I mean, Jesus kind of still hits them with something heavy. He says, You all will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So here Jesus is specifically talking about Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Is where this is quoted from, where this prophecy originates. And again, man, 
Jesus is being faithful. He's going to go to the cross. And although he's going to go to the cross, his disciples will desert him. Right? You see there, it says that the that, that I will strike the shepherd. Right? It is eventually God who will strike the shepherd. It is God who will strike his son. It's God who's going to strike his son for us. Right? As his blood is poured out for many. Right? The religious leaders think that they're the ones that are going to, you know, arrest Jesus and truly kill him. But the punishment that's going to fall on Jesus is actually going to come from the head of the Lord God. So Jesus is faithful, although his disciples are not. He will go to the cross. The shepherd will be struck. And the disciples will desert him. So generally, this is all the disciples will desert him. And then here goes our man Peter. As always, Peter always has something to say. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, Jesus, I will not. Man, Peter wasn't even worried about his brothers that were with him. He wasn't even like, yo, I'm going to pick you up. If you fall away, I'm going to get you. And I'm going to make sure that we, we're not falling away together. Again, Peter is worried about himself and his glory. Lord, I don't care about these dudes. If they fall away, I will never fall away. Again, Peter is concerned about himself. He's worried about himself. He's not worried about others. But Jesus loves him, man. He tells him, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So before the rooster crows twice as a witness to the morning light, three times, Peter will deny Jesus Christ as a witness to the eternal life. Christ will be denied by Peter. Although he said he would never deny him. And then even when Jesus tells him that, when Jesus says, you will deny me, he emphatically answers after that, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And of course, the rest of them didn't want to be by themselves. So they said, and they all said the same. That tradition tells us Peter would eventually die. He would be crucified. He would die sort of the way Christ died. But he said it wasn't worthy of him to die crucified upright like Christ. So church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. So it is true that eventually he would die. We all do. And he would die the same way Christ did. And while I know this may, while I do realize this may not be many of us here, but yet it may be some of us. So may we ask God that if we're ever, if our lives are ever called of us to death as a witness for Jesus, that we will say sincerely, I will die with you, or I will die for you, but I will never deny you. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray and we ask you, Lord. First, Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God to us. 
We thank you, God, that you've made a way. We thank you, God, that that way is through your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that it is by the Passover lamb that is Christ, that is because of his blood that has been spilled for us, that your judgment will pass over us. And we pray, Lord, that man, man or woman, here who, or even online that doesn't know you today, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would turn from their sin and that they would place their trust in Jesus, the Passover lamb. Knowing that not only did he die, not only was he buried, but he was risen from the grave. Showing that he, Jesus, was victorious over death, victorious over sin, and the sacrifice of the sacrifice. Oh Lord, we pray, God, that you would do so much more than we could ever pray for now. Way that you save men and women, in the way that you encourage us, Lord, and in the way that we go out and continue to share the gospel in this community and around the world. Well, Pastor George is up here right now. He's actually going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. As we've been considering these things, what we remember now is we're taking the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Colin. Don't worry, man. So much in there. in there, and as Colin said, we're family. It's a great thing to be here this morning. I come up here with an umbrella or pop collar, and it's all good because you guys are my family, so I can look like a fool. And so this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a family. It's a family meal. So folks are going to come around, bring out cups. I think we got some folks. If you don't have a cup, uh, raise your hand so we can get, get one over to you. But as Colin described, this is an institution that's happened. 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was looking back at this, this Passover this Passover meal. And the two points that stuck out to me is that, that this Passover was judgment passing over God's people. And that for those who are in Christ, those who are in this family, that, that judgment has passed over them. But then also, when, when we take this, we're not only as a family declaring that judgment has passed over us through Christ and his blood, we are free. It's a declaration that we are free to the whole entire world. Jesus has given us this symbol to remind us of what he's done on the cross. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, please don't take this meal. Please don't take this meal because right now, if you're not a Christian, that judgment has not passed over you. You're still dead in your trespasses and, and sins. So we wouldn't want you to drink any further condemnation on yourself this morning. But if you are a Christian, if you are in the family, please partake of this meal. It shows that the judgment has passed over us and that we are indeed free in Christ. And the beauty of this is we're, we're in this upper room with Jesus even now. See, we're in the upper room when we open the word of God. So it's important. I know I need this because just like Peter, I, I was just in the upper room. We got the word open. We're all leading. And I'm going to turn away and I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to say something. I, didn't, I haven't even sinned yet, but I'm going to look at my own self. And I'm going to turn. So this is a way. This is Jesus's way of, of, of reminding us consistently of who he is and that we are in the family and that he is faithful. So that's what we're doing this morning. Does everybody have? Bread in a cup. Like, 
got one more in the back of you, Tia. Kylie, Nicole, over here on the left. So we got some more. So we'll wait until everybody's been served. All right, fam, let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you that judgment has passed over us. That we have been called into an upper room with the creator of the universe. And that by his blood, we are healed and we are free. To partake in this meal, to partake eternally in the bread of life. In the blood of the new covenant. So we ask your Lord your blessing on this time. Just name it. So take out a little bread there on the top. Jesus says, take it. This is my body. Let's take it. Then he took the cup and he says, this is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It is shed for many. I assure you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in the kingdom of God. Let's drink. Praise God. I'm going to bring up the, the song team now. And just like Colin mentioned, we're going to sing. Leaving the upper room, we go to a familiar place and we sing as changed people. People who are in the family of God, whose pet, whose judgment has been passed over, and who are free. Jesus, 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 Jesus,
So now hear the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May grace and peace be with you, brothers and sisters.